thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, as we come now to Acts chapter 13, I think it's important for us to take a moment and remember really the final commands of Jesus before he ascends back to heaven, his final words to his followers, something that he wants them to do and something that should resonate with us because he wants us to do it as well. And I want to note those as we come into Acts chapter uh, 13. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, he said, and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1, 8, the kind of theme verse of this uh, book, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the reason I bring this up is I want you to know that Jesus' heart for the church was always to be a missionary church, a church that would reach, notice, all the nations, all the earth, to the ends of the earth. He didn't just want them just to reach the area in which they were in. He had a heart for them to go everywhere, to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation, not just to reach those in Jerusalem or those in Israel or those who were just Jewish. His heart was always for the church to reach the world, and that was his command, go into not part of it or some of it, all the world. I want you to reach everyone with the good news of the gospel. I bring this up because here in Acts chapter 13, we really see a vital turning point here in the early church. We're going to see the early church get missions-minded. We're going to see the early church get focused on reaching beyond where their local church is to starting to reach to the ends of the earth and fulfill this commission that Jesus gave them. We're going to see the first missionaries. We're going to see the first church that sends out missionaries. We're going to see what the Lord does to bless these missionary efforts. So let's take some time to look at what the early church does, how they impact the world with this missions-focused mindset. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says this. There you go. Now the church that was in Antioch, where there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus." Notice now a shift here in the book of Acts, really um, Jerusalem all the way up to now, the first 12 chapters of Acts, that's kind of been the hub, that's kind of been the church that's been the focus, but now we're moving from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch, and if you remember back in Acts chapter 11, we saw the start of this church. Because of the persecution that Saul had brought, Stephen was killed, he starts imprisoning people, he starts killing people for their belief in Jesus, all these believers who were in Jerusalem fled for their lives. 
lives and they start going to different places and some of them end up as far away as Antioch. And as they get to Antioch, they start sharing the gospel. And as happens when you share the gospel, people accepted it and were told that many people believed in Jesus Christ. And so a church was established there as the gospel went out. And, and when Jerusalem heard about this, they hear Antioch has received the Lord. God's doing a great work there. They do something in response to that. They send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Why don't you go up there and help out that church there that's in Antioch? Well, Barnabas sees the work there and sees the magnitude of the work there. And he thinks, man, I need some help. And so he goes and gets Saul. Kind of interesting because the reason that these guys even went to Antioch to begin with was this persecution of Saul who got saved and now is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Barnabas gets Saul and he brings him there to Antioch. And we're told that Saul and Barnabas are teaching regularly for a year to this church. They're the main teachers. They're the main guys investing in the believers there. And so that's the start of this church. And now here in chapter 13, Luke shares with us about some of the leaders that are in this church. He tells us five of them by name. There's Barnabas, who we already know, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, something I want you to note is kind of the, the diversity of this group. You have Saul and Barnabas. They're both Jews who were brought up in Judaism. And so that's their background. That's their heritage. But then you got a guy named Simon. And, and Luke's uh, telling us called Niger, which means black. And most commentators believe this man was from Africa. Well, now you also have Lucius of Cyrene, who is a Roman Gentile, and Manian, and we're told, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this guy has political connections. And so you have Jews, you have Greeks, you have Africans, you have different people of different nationalities, different backgrounds, and they're all leading the church. And this is a great example of what we saw before, of this unity that comes in Christ, of this equality that comes in Christ, and this church here in Antioch and their leadership is demonstrating that. In verse 2, we're told, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them to. Something I want you to note here, and you can kind of just read it and, and, and speed through it and miss it, is notice that Luke says the church in Antioch was ministering to the Lord. Well, well, why bring that up? Because ministry ultimately should always be, first and foremost, to the Lord. That is the purpose. That is the reason. That is the desire. My purpose is to minister in anything I do ultimately to God. I might be ministering to you practically, but ultimately it's not just to you. It's to God. He is first and foremost why we should do what we do. All ministry should be to him. And I bring that up because sadly as a pastor over years, I've seen that there's a lot of believers in a lot of churches that a lot of the ministry that's happening isn't to the Lord. It's not for him. It's not for his purpose. It's oftentimes a selfish desire, a selfish purpose, a selfish ministry, and it's not to the Lord. It's not for the Lord. And so I just want to throw that out there. Any ministry that you do, any ministry that I do, any ministry that we do as a church should ultimately be to the Lord. And, and I find that very interesting as you go through relationships that God talks about, like marriage. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Let him be the focus. It's to him. It's not about your wife. It's not about how loving she is or how lovable she is. It's about doing it unto Jesus. That's why we do it. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
as to the Lord. It's not about how great your husband is or how worthy he is of submission. It's to Jesus. That's who you're doing it ultimately to and for. And in everything that we do, that should be the heart that we have. It's for Jesus. And that makes ministry so much easier because if you're doing it for people and you're doing it for the response that people will give to you that's positive, you're going to find that ministry is brutal, that ministry is so... You know, there's so much people that don't care what you do, that don't appreciate what you do. And so if you're just doing it for the approval or the praise of people, then you're going to have a lot of problems. But if you do it to Jesus and for the praise and glory of him, you're going to have the right heart, and it's a lot easier to continue in it. And so here the church in Antioch, they're ministering to the Lord, they're fasting to the Lord. And in this process of ministry, notice now the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And he says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. This is interesting. Here we see a specific call of God on two men's lives, Barnabas and Saul. And notice the Holy Spirit says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. You know, God has a specific work for Barnabas and Saul, but in order for that work to actually be fulfilled, they have to be separated to God. This is such an important thing for us to understand for the ministries that God calls us to. When God calls you to a ministry, he wants you to be separated to him. And when you think about being separated to him, I want you to recognize that also means you have to be separated from certain things that would hinder you from doing what God's called you to do. You see, I see this so often as a pastor. You see people who recognize the call of God on their life and they need to be separated to God, separated to that calling, but they're not willing to separate themselves from some other things that are distracting or hindering or keeping them from doing it. And sadly, many times they never do it or they, or they put it on pause for a long while because they're not willing to separate themselves from the things that would keep them from doing it. You can't really say yes to God's call into your life until you say no to things that are keeping you from that call. You can't follow God's will and God's plan until you're willing to stop following your will and your plan. You can't do both. We kind of want that. Lord, I'll do what you want. I'll do what I want. And we'll kind of just walk this tightrope. The Lord says, no, you got to separate yourself from all those things and just completely give yourself over to me, over to my plan, over to my will for your life. You know, when God first called me into ministry, he made it very clear he wanted me to be in pastoral ministry. And, you know, for me, there was a specific thing that I really struggled with and that I thought, you know what, this is something I'm going to have to separate myself from if I'm going to walk forward in this. And, you know, my dad's a pastor and we grew up poor. And I didn't like being poor. And I recognize if I go into pastoral ministry, the likelihood is I'm going to stay poor. You know, we grew up in a trailer and my brother and sister and I, we all lived in the living room. That was our room. We didn't have a bedroom. You know, our friends would come over. We invite them in and they'd be like, hey, you're sitting there watching TV. Where's your guy's bedroom? Nathan, where's your bedroom? You're in it. Matthew, where's your bedroom? You're in it. Julie, where's your bedroom? Oh, you're in it as well. And they just kind of just gave us this weird look. Of, you all are living in the living room. You know, what's going on? I remember taking the bus to school and, you know, people making fun of us because, you know, our clothes came from the Salvation Army. We didn't wear the name brand stuff. And, you know, we didn't like being poor. And we vowed many times growing up, you know, when we get older, we're going to get good jobs. We're going to like make lots of money. We're not going to continue to be poor. And so, you know, when God made it clear to me, ministry is where I want you, pastoral ministry is where I want you. One of the actually first thoughts that came to my mind was, oh no, 
I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. And, and there was really this thought because that was ingrained into me. I don't want this as an adult. And I really had to say, you know what? I've got to separate myself from that. Lord, if this is where you're calling, if this is what you want from me, I'm willing to say, hey, okay, that's fine. I can be poor. I cannot have much as long as I'm doing what you've called me to do. That's what's most important. But I could have chosen as my brother did. You know what? Forget it. He's still pursuing money, and he's still miserable in his life. But you know what? He just said, forget it. Forget anything that God has for me. I want to pursue this stuff. I want to pursue these possessions. I want to pursue what the world has. Um, and I could have done that. I could have allowed that to keep me from what God had called me to do if I wasn't willing to separate myself from that. God had a specific work. He called Barnabas to. He called Saul to. And he says, separate me, these guys, to the work that I have for them. And I think it's important for us to understand because sometimes we read this and we think, well, that's great for them because obviously they're the super spiritual guys and God has a work for them. But he doesn't have a work for me. So it's nice that they had that. It's nice that they did that. But you know what? Ephesians 2.10 tells us something that's important to remember. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, speaking of every believer, should walk in them. God has a work. He has a calling for all of us. And so when you read the Bible and you see God using people and calling God, people to do things, recognize he has something for you as well. It might not be the same as what he has for them or what he has for others, but he has something specific for you, a calling specific in your life, a work that he specifically wants for you to do, and you need to separate yourself to him and to that calling and separate yourself from things that would keep you from fulfilling that calling that God has in your life. So the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit tells them this. Separate to me, Paul and Barnabas. I have a work I want to do in them. Let's see how they respond to what the Holy Spirit says. Verse 3 tells us this. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Notice here the response of the church there in Antioch. They hear the word of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I want you to separate these two guys for the work that I have. And in response to that, they fast, they pray, they lay hands on these guys, and they send them away. They support them. They send them out. You know, as far as we know, this is the first instance in the church of any church sending out guys specifically to do ministry and missionary work. Now, we've seen what I would call accidental missionaries, believers who were fleeing persecution. They were leaving Jerusalem and going to other places like Samaria. Some even went to Antioch. And as they're there, they're just like, well, I'm here. I might as well share the gospel with people. But it wasn't a specific calling to go to that place. And it wasn't a church that sent them out to that place. It was more, hey, we're just in the moment of fleeing persecution and this kind of happened. But now we see a real specific focus. We are intending to send you out, and we want to send you out with the purpose of reaching other people and other cultures, other nationalities with the gospel. So this first real missionary effort is there here in the church in Antioch. You know, I love the fact that Antioch was a missionary church, a church who sent people out to preach the gospel and plant other churches. You know, I think something important for us to realize is when we understand that God has a heart for everyone, that should make your church a missionary church. When you realize God wants to reach everyone, not just where you are, he wants to reach everyone, then our hearts should be that we want to be part of that. We want to be part of not just reaching where God has us, we want to be part of reaching beyond where God has us. We want to be part of reaching and sending people to reach, as Jesus says, the ends of the earth. That 
is a missionary church, a church that not only ministers where they started, Jerusalem, but also to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That should be the heart of a missionary church. You know, when the church in Jerusalem started, the reality was they weren't a missionary church. They just focused on Jerusalem and on Jews. That's the start of the church. We saw that. Their heart was not beyond that. Their heart was not missionary. Their heart was not to the ends of the earth. God had to change them. God had to reveal, it's not just Jews, but Gentiles. And I want you to go. And I want you to branch out. And I want you to reach the world with the gospel. Antioch, the first church to really support and send out missionaries to minister to other countries. So we're told after having fasted and prayed, the church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them away. Now, something I found interesting in studying this is this word sent means to release someone. And it was actually used most commonly uh, speaking of a captive who would be released and given freedom to leave. This releasing someone to go is the mindset of this Word. So the church in Antioch was willing to release Barnabas and Saul from the ministry they were doing there in Antioch and said, you know what, we're going to release you, send you to go do ministry somewhere else. Now, I want you to think about this because you said, well, what's the big deal? Think about who these guys were. I mean, these were their teachers. These were the pillars. These were the most godly men probably within that church because they just got saved. Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas, they've been saved for a while. They're the mature, godly men who come there to invest in these people. These are the guys that you don't want to see go. These aren't the guys you want to leave. These are the guys you want to see stay and continue to minister. And they're willing to say, you know what? We will let you go. We will release you. We are willing to see God do a work through you somewhere else, and we're not going to hold on to you and try to keep you here with us, which would have been the natural probably desire of, we don't want you guys, or maybe just one of you, all right? Barnabas, how about just you and Saul, you can stay, and you know, can't we just do it that way? But no, they were willing to release two of the pillars of their church. Unfortunately, not every church today is a missionary church. A church with a vision to send people beyond where they're ministry. And a church that's willing to release those who are gifted. Those who are serving. Those who are in pastoral ministry. Those who are mature in the Lord. In my experience as a missionary, you know the ones who get sent out the most? The ones who have no experience and oftentimes cause problems. And it's like, oh, you want to go? Great, go. Be someone else's problem. Yeah, you can leave our church. We'll, we'll send you out, no problem. But man, when you get the guys who they really want to keep, they don't release them. It's like, no, 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 you, you stay. You over there. Yeah, go have fun. Minister to the Lord. Good for you. But, you know, hey, we want to be those that are like them where you say, you know what? These mature, gifted people are the ones that the church there in Antioch sent. You know, sadly, there are... Many churches that are not missionary churches, I would refer to them more as me churches. It's all about keeping everything here. We don't want to reach out beyond these walls. It's all about us and our growth here and nothing more than that. You know, I've been to churches, I've shared at churches where they have more than a thousand people and I sit down and I talk with the leadership and with that many people, they have still never sent anyone out to do anything beyond the walls of their church. And I find that so sad. You have that many people and you've never sent anyone out beyond where you're at and you've been here how long? You've been ministering how long? I've met pastors, and that's their heart. They just want to keep, but they don't want to release. Sadly, a friend of mine from Bible college, he went on staff at a church. He was an assistant pastor. He felt God calling him to the Ukraine. 
He's all excited. His family's all excited. They're starting to pray about the support and everything. They come to the senior pastor, and he shares with him. And the guy says, you know what? If you're leaving us, don't expect us to give anything to you. It was this mindset of, hey, if you're going to leave us, it was like, how dare you abandon us? This mindset instead of, hey, we get to partner with you. We get to send you. We get to release you to the Ukraine, and we can see our church do something there. It was like, you're leaving us, then you're on your own. And that was what it was. He had to go without their support and without their sending because they wouldn't do it because this guy's heart was not a missionary heart. It was just, it's all about us and what we're doing here. And that's not the heart that God has. Romans 10 is a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And it has some very powerful things that are told to us in verses 13 through 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Think about this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful truth. If you call on Jesus, if you confess your sin to Jesus, he will save you. Wonderful. But Paul goes on to bring out some important things. How are they going to call on him whom they've not believed? Well, if they don't believe in Jesus, then they can't accept him. Okay, that's a natural thing. But wait, wait how are they going to believe in him if they haven't heard the message? Well, that makes sense. And how are they going to hear the message unless someone's sent to proclaim it? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Here's the reality. There are so many places where the gospel is not being preached. How are they going to hear? How are they going to accept? How are they going to know the truth unless we are willing to send people or maybe personally go ourselves and be that ambassador for Christ to reach these lost places? The fact that the church in Antioch was willing to release Barnabas, release Saul, I think says a lot about them. It says a lot about their heart for missions, their heart for the world. You know, our vision here at Cross Connection is to save the lost, equip the saved, serve the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equip. Sending the equipped is a big part of what our heart is. As you're raised up, as, as you mature in the Lord, as he has a calling for you to go beyond what we're doing here, we want to be behind that. We want to hold on to you. We want to release you. We want to send you. We want to get behind what God is doing. You know, and that's why we are excited with what the Lord's been doing with Savannah. You know, Savannah is a great godly girl, and she was wonderful for our children's ministry. And if we were a me church, we'd be like, sorry, Savannah, we need you here. We need you to invest in these kids, man. We need you to pour into them. Don't go over to, you know, Kenya and pour into those kids. Just stay here. That's what we need from you. But no, we're excited to say, you know what? God's called you there. We want to get behind that. We want to send you. We want to pray for you. We're excited with what God is doing there. You know, we were excited last week to get to pray for Robert. Now going to Guatemala. Going to be out there for nine months. And, you know, what a wonderful thing for us to say instead of, oh, Robert, no, stay. You know, just do stuff here. Why do you got to go out there? No, God's called him. And we want to be behind that calling. We want to send him. We want to pray for him. And it's not just long terms. We're excited with short terms. You know, we're excited for the girls who went to Peru uh, and, you know, get to pray for them and get to invest in, you know, them. And, and we had that prayer meeting for them and Joy and Erica and Yitzel and just what the Lord was doing. And, you know, we want to be that church that is excited for reaching beyond just here. 
We don't want to be the me church. We want to be the missionary church. And so if God leads you and calls you to do something beyond here, we want to know about it because we want to get behind it. We want to support it. We want to pray for that uh, and be with you in that. The church in Antioch chose to send Barnabas and Saul on this first missionary journey. And I want you to note the reason ultimately why they do this. And this should be the reason for anyone. Verse 2 says this. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. You see, the church in Antioch recognized something. God had called Barnabas and Saul to this ministry. He called them to leave Antioch and to go. That was the calling of God on their life. They recognized the calling of God, and he made it real clear because the Holy Spirit spoke to them. This is what I have for these guys. And that is the reason why they said, you know what, we're going to send you. Because we realize God has called you to do this. God has given you this work to do. Something important to note is that ministry is a calling. Being a missionary is a calling. But most importantly to understand, it's a calling not by a pastor or by a church. It's a calling by God himself. He's the one who calls people. He's the one who gives that calling. He's the one who gives that work. The church in Antioch, they just recognized that. They recognized what God was already doing, and they said, we want to be behind that. We want to be with that. We want to send you out and support what God has already called you to do. You know, if you're a missionary or going to full-time ministry, make sure it's God who's calling you. You know, when I would go to the Bible colleges and, and share with people who are interested, oftentimes even in coming to Scotland when I was over there as a missionary, one of the first things I would say is you've got to be confident God is calling you. Because I guarantee the first months and year that you're there, you know, there's going to be so many things that are difficult, and the enemy's going to say, go home, go home, go home. And the reality is the only reason you're going to stay is because you're going to be confident God called you. If you're not confident that, well, well, maybe I just went because so-and-so said I should, or maybe I just went because this church said that would be a good thing for me to do. Well, that's not going to cut it. I went because God called me, and that's why I'm going to stay because God called me. And when you're confident the Lord's calling you, the only response that you should have is obedience. And continue in it. Regardless of how difficult it is, you think of Jeremiah. He gets a wonderful message that he preaches his whole life and no one accepts it and then they kill him. What a wonderful, fruitful ministry. But he continued in it because why he wanted to be faithful to the calling. It's easy to be faithful to the calling when the fruit is wonderful. It's hard to be faithful when you don't see anyone accept what you're doing. But that doesn't matter. God just says, I'm calling you to it. I want you to obey it. And I want you to continue with it until I call you to do something else. Notice what verse 4 says. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. When a church sends someone out, it really should just be something that is in agreement with what the Holy Spirit has already done. You're basically saying, we are in agreement with the Holy Spirit's call in your life to go minister in this certain place, and so we support you. That's something I really uh, valued about Calvary Chapel's uh, ordination process and missionary process, was just like, you know what, we already see this work that God's doing. It's not that, oh, you've gone through our Bible college, well, now you're able to go. No, 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 we're going to wait to see what God's calling you to do. And when we see what God's clearly calling you to do, then we're just going to get behind what God's calling you to do. We recognize that. You know, Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa was my supporting church, my sending church, and that's what it was. They saw, you know, we recognize God's calling you to Scotland, and we just want to be a part of that. We recognize that God's called you to be a pastor. We want to ordain you to do that. It was just not, oh, well, they're the ones who did it. It was the Lord ultimately who did it, the Lord ultimately who called And it was just a response to that. That's our heart as a church here, of just recognizing what God's doing and then just being a part of that. 
Saul, Barnabas, sent out on this first missionary journey. Well, let's see what happens as they depart and where they go and what the Lord does. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Well, here is a map of the three different missionary journeys that Paul took. And if it comes up, there it is. Uh, and also the, uh, nope, that went one too far. Okay, back, next one. Oh, there it is. Okay, so you have the three missionary journeys, and you also have his trip to Rome. The one in pink is the first missionary journey. As you can see, it's the shortest one. Uh, but, you know, the Lord's going to do a lot in this first journey. Now, I'll zoom in here. Um, you can see the start there is Antioch. They go from Antioch. They come down to Seleucia, which is right on the port there. They get on a boat, and they come down to Salamis, which is in Cyprus, uh, and that's where they start their first ministry. And, you know, we're not told why they choose. Well, of all places to go, you're leaving. Where go, why go there first? But we are told back uh, in Acts that Barnabas was from Cyprus. Uh, so it could just be, hey, Barnabas, you're from there. Let's go there. We want to reach these people. We want to minister to the people that, uh, that you know there. Uh, but they go there for the Lord's obviously leading them there. Um, and we're also told that John is their assistant. This is speaking of John Mark, uh, the gospel writer of the book of Mark. He joins them on this first missionary journey. And that's important to note as we'll look at next week uh, because he ends up leaving. Um, and that's not a good thing. But um, verse 6, let's see what happens. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Then Elamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, Saul and Barnabas and Mark, they leave Salimus and uh, they went down to Paphos, which as you can see is on the other side of the island of Cyprus. And then when they get there, they encounter two men that I want you to take note of. The first man's name is Bar-Jesus, which means uh, son of Jesus, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Uh, Bar is just son of. Uh, and so son of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a very common name uh, back in the time of Jesus and even after that. And so we hear that and we think, whoa, someone else was named Jesus? Amazing. We don't really call our kids Jesus today. But, you know, it was a very common name, Yahshua in Hebrew, uh, back in the day. And so, you know, this guy... Guy's dad was named Jesus, and so he was the son of Jesus. But Luke really can't call him that because he feels like, oh, this guy's a sorcerer. I just can't bring myself to calling him son of Jesus. And so instead of calling him son of Jesus, he calls him uh, Alemus, which ultimately is translated sorcerer, because that's what this guy was. And so Luke's like, let's just call him for what he is. He's a sorcerer. I'm not going to call him son of Jesus because, you know, it just doesn't seem right to me to even connect him with that. So um, that's what this guy's name is. That's what he is. And note, there's another person. We're told there's a proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. The proconsul was the representative of the Roman government. And so this intelligent guy, this representative, you know, this guy who would have had a high position there, he wants Paul and Barnabas to come and share with him. What a huge open door. Here's this guy with lots of influence. Here's this intelligent guy, and he's wanting to hear a message 
from Saul and Barnabas, this open door to this influential man. But notice what happens. You're like, wow, this guy's calling for us? I mean, we just show up and he wants to hear for us? I mean, how easy is this? Awesome. I thought we we're going to have to go talk with some strangers and share the gospel. This guy actually wants to hear from us. This great open door, this great opportunity. Verse 8 tells us, But Elimus, the sorcerer, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they have this great open door, but now we see the sorcerer. He wants to stop Saul and Barnabas and their message. And notice the reason why. Because he wanted to turn the proconsul away from the faith. I think something important for us to understand is that opportunities often produce opposition. Yeah, we get excited for opportunities, especially in people's lives, to share the gospel or to minister. And the Lord just opens up these doors, and sometimes we think, man, it's just going to be a bed of roses. Everything's going to just smooth sailing. This great opportunity, great, I can't wait. But understand this, when you get an opportunity, especially to share the gospel, because if they accept that, they're going to go from darkness to light. They're going to go from eternity banned to hell to eternity in heaven. There's just going to be this drastic change in their life. The enemy does not want that. Expect opposition. When there's opportunity, almost always we see, and you probably experienced it personally, we see it biblically, opposition so often comes your way. Don't be surprised when you have the Elamus who wants to turn people away from the truth of the message of the gospel because he does not want them to come to faith in Jesus. You know, I've experienced this a lot in my life, sharing with people, excited about open doors, and so often, right away, opposition comes. Trying to keep that person from growing, trying to keep that person from accepting the gospel. It's just a regular thing, and now I just come to accept it. Not to get upset and like, oh, I can't believe there's opposition. You know, I kind of think, well, if there's not opposition, maybe I'm not doing something right. Because if I'm really doing something, I know the enemy is not going to like it, and he's going to try to stop it. Which is kind of something that Charles Spurgeon said. Here's a quote from him. Wherever there is likely to be great success, the open door and the opposing adversaries will both be found. If there are no adversaries, you may fear that there will be no success. A boy cannot get his kite up without wind, nor without a wind which drives against his kite. When we have an open door into someone's life, when they want to hear the word of God, when they want to hear the gospel, don't be surprised by opposition. Expect it. Then you won't get so upset when it happens. Just say, you know what? It's likely I'm going to get opposition here, but I'm still going to continue forward. I'm still going to pursue this because the, the, the opportunity is there. The door is open, but the opposition most likely will come. But the question is, how are we going to deal with that? When opposition hits, what do we do? And I know in my own life there have been times I've done, you know, and probably maybe you've experienced as well, opposition is there. And we're like, oh, well, forget it. You know, I would have gone through that door. I would have shared with that person. Uh, I would have ministered to them. But, you know, the opposition's here, and it's just too difficult, and it's too painful, and it's too whatever. We just don't like it. It's not nice to be opposed. It's not nice when people come against us. We don't like that. And so oftentimes we just shy away. We just step back. Well, well, if there's opposition, then we'll just wait until there's none. And if the enemy sees that, it's like, well, great. There's never going to be not opposition for you, and you'll never do anything. And so we have to say, you know, how are we going to respond when opposition comes? And I love what Saul does. The sorcerer opposes him. Notice what he does in verse, this thing's jumping. There we go, nine. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? 
And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Saul boldly withstands this guy. Here's this sorcerer who's like, there's no way I'm going to allow you to talk to this proconsul and share the gospel with him. I'm going to withstand you. Well, Saul responds with withstanding this guy and just calling it what it is, telling him what he is. Hey, you're a son of the devil. You're full of deceit and lies. You're perverting the straight ways of the Lord. You're trying to keep this guy from accepting the truth. And the Holy Spirit reveals to Saul, you're going to be blind. So Saul tells him, hey, you're going to be blind and the guy is blind. The consequence You know, kind of interesting, his physical blindness to go with his spiritual blindness. But, you know, I want you to notice now, the Procostal is watching this. You know, I mean, there's this battle. You know, Saul is sharing the gospel. You know, the sorcerer comes to kind of stop that. And then they have this little conflict here. And Saul tells him what he is. And then, boom, this guy's blind. And the Procostal sees this. And notice how he responds in verse 12. Then the Procostal believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of of the Lord. Well, what is it that the proconsul saw? Well, he saw courage from Saul. Saul didn't back away. Saul didn't say, oh man, this sorcerer, I don't know if we want to mess with this guy. You know, Saul was bold and willing to stand for the truth in the midst of this opposition, but he also saw the results of this sorcerer's sin. This guy gets struck blind. He realizes, whoa, <laughs> I don't know if I want to believe what this guy is saying, because look at the supernatural consequences that have come to him. But most, most importantly, he wasn't astonished really at what Paul you know, did or what happened to this guy. He was astonished by the preaching of the Lord. The message is what astonished him. Astonished that Jesus loved him enough to die for him. Astonished at the gospel, the good news. That's what he was astonished by and he believed and he gets saved. Something important to note here is Saul boldly stood against a wicked man and his lies ultimately for the sake of the man who was open to the gospel. And I think this is something so important for us to realize. When there's someone open and willing to receive the gospel, we need to fight for that. We need to fight through opposition for that. We can't just abandon those folks. It's hard to share with someone who's not open, who doesn't want to hear the message. But when you find someone who is, you can almost guarantee opposition because that person is ready. That person is ripe. That person is there wanting just to hear the good news. And we have that good news. And that should be enough reason for us to say, we're going to go through whatever opposition comes our way to share the good news of the gospel with this individual. I think Saul is definitely acting correctly because the eternity of Sergius Paulus is at stake and he is going to get in the way of this sorcerer. G. Campbell Morgan, a great pastor and commentator, says this, The severest words of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, are reserved for those who stand between men and truth, for those who stand between men and God. It must be the heart that loves Sergius Paulus that stands against Alemus the sorcerer. When someone is trying to stand between truth and an individual, between the gospel and an individual, we have to stand up for the truth. We have to stand and be willing to go through opposition to reach people with the gospel. Because as a church, if we shy away from that, which a lot of churches are and a lot of Christians are, who's going to be the ones to proclaim this to the gospel to the nations? Who's going to be the one to share it with the culture? You know, if we stand away from truth, we're living in a society that wants to totally obliterate the truth of God's word. You know, if we stop standing for it, who is? No one's going to. It is our role as ambassadors of Christ to continue 
to preach these things and to stand for these things. You know, when I was ministering in Scotland, we did a big skate outreach. We had about 500 different kids come to, you know, we had some professional skaters. We built these ramps. Uh, and each of these skaters that we brought out shared their testimony, shared the gospel. Uh, and the first guy who gets up to share, you know, right when he starts sharing, this drunk guy, you know, just starts shouting and cussing and starts heckling him and, you know, saying all sorts of things. And, and the crowd's now totally focused on this drunk heckler and not focused on the guy sharing the gospel. Uh, and I see that and I stand up and I walk to this guy and I, you know, nicely ask him to be quiet and he starts cussing at me and so then myself and another guy just physically escort him out of there uh, and when he walks away you know the guy that was there as you know it was sad that he didn't stay to hear the gospel and I said well if we let him stay nobody here would have heard the gospel you know and there's times when you just got to say you know what we got to stand up against those who are trying to keep people from hearing the gospel and be willing to do what it takes to say you know what you're bringing opposition. We're going to stand firm here and make sure that these people who are open to the gospel get to hear the message because it's too important. Eternity is at stake. Imagine if Saul would have backed down. <laughs> what would have happened to this man? He wouldn't have got to hear the gospel, and who knows what his eternal future would have been. But Saul stood strong, shared the gospel, and this man gets saved. So here at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, we have the start of the first missionary journey we have the first church that sends out missionaries, the first missionaries who go to the first places and the start of the work that God did for them. But I just want to close with a thought that is so important. And remember this, God's a missionary God. You know, we talked about churches who are missionary churches or meat churches, and it's baffling to me because we serve a missionary God. So I think every church should be a missions-minded church because God is a missions-minded God. Probably the most famous, most well-quoted verse in all of Scripture. It's just a great example of the missionary God that we serve. John 3, 16 and 17, probably most of you have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice God loves us so much that he sent his Son. He went from the throne in heaven to this earth, from glory to this place, from being the all eternal God to being a baby. He was willing to go to extremes to reach a completely different group of people. He loved them enough that God said, I'm willing to send my son. And Jesus said, I'm willing to be sent. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to become a baby. I'm willing to live a man's life and I'm going to do it perfectly. And then I'm willing to give my life on the cross for the sins of the world. God is a missionary God. Jesus didn't just die for a few or for many. He died for everyone. He came to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world. And that's why he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go to the ends of the earth and do this. Because I've died for all these people and I want them to hear the good news. I want them to hear of what I've done. I want to have a relationship with them. I want to save them. He loves them. And because he loves them and we love him, we should love them as well. And if we truly love the world, let's demonstrate it by being missions-minded that says, you know what, we want to reach the people definitely that God has brought into our sphere of influence here, but we don't want it to stop there. Lord, we want you to help us to raise up people and to send people out. Or say, Lord, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Maybe it's you that God says, you know, I want to send you out to a particular place. Are you willing to go? Because we can get comfortable. It's easy to get comfortable where you're at and say, you know, hey, you know, to go somewhere else. 
I mean, it was a big thing to get out of my comfort zone to come here and plant a church. Church planting, I think, is for young people. It's, it's harder as you continue to get older, and I'm not even really that old yet, and I still feel like, man, it's a lot harder at 38 than it was at 23. But, you know, um, you, know you just got to say, I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to go to a different place. I'm willing to come and do what you've called me to do, Lord. I'm available. I'm available to send people, to pray for people, to support people, or I'm available to go. Whatever you want, Lord, my heart is to do your will. Jesus is the best, greatest example of a missionary, of the heart of a missionary. And I just want to close this morning. We didn't do it last week. We do it the first Sunday. Usually last week, we got the privilege of praying for Robert. So this morning, we're going to take some time to take communion together. And I just want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, remember what he did for us. And just, I want you to think about this in the context of missions, that he was willing to come to you, that he loved you enough that he came to die for you. And how does that change us? How does that impact our hearts for others? And so the guys are going to grab the communion elements. And, you know, this is for uh, anyone who has accepted Christ. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then we encourage you to take these elements. If, if that's something that you have not done, then we just ask that you just let those pass by. But as you get them, just hold on to them. Uh, we're going to take those together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Uh, they're going to lead us in a worship song. Uh, and I just encourage you, as this is being passed around, this is a great time just to come before the Lord, to think on what he's done for you, but also, even more importantly, just to confess any unconfessed sin in your life. You're remembering how he has died on the cross for your sins, and I would encourage you to succumb in confession to him, and I'll come back up, and we'll take these elements together. So let's just take some time to uh, focus on the Lord.